The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Karina's body was found in the reeds in Spring Creek Park, just blocks from her home in Howard Beach. She had left barely an hour earlier for her evening run at 5 o'clock. Justice for my daughter, retribution. That is everything I live for, it's all I do. This is Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. DNA recovered from the crime scene this summer failed to match anyone in either the federal or state databases. But Phil is urging investigators to conduct more sophisticated screening called familial searching. I've thought of every different scenario, every different one, because all I have time to do is think about what, what happened and why. It was over four months ago that a beautiful young girl goes for a run very near her home that she shares with her dad, her family. That was the one day that Phil Vetrano did not go jogging with his daughter. And when I first heard this scenario, it reminded me so much of my dad, Mac, because whenever we were in the same town together, 
he would walk while I would jog every single time. It was some of the happiest times I've, I've ever had. And when I heard that that day Phil had an ailment, he did not go running, and then his daughter didn't show up. She didn't come back on time, and he knew immediately something was wrong. And he was right. Something came to him and said, she needs you. Of course, right now, I know that you know I'm talking about Karina Vetrano. She's been called the New York jogger. He found his daughter's body. I can't even imagine the pain he has endured. And right now, we are fighting for justice because her killer is still at large. Thank you for being with us today. This is Nancy Grace with Crime Stories, and I am deeply honored to have with me Phil Vetrano, who has taken time out of his schedule to be with us today and speak on behalf of his daughter, Karina. Phil, thank you for being with us. Oh, Nancy, it's always a pleasure, and thank you. I, I, I just feel guilty that you even say thank you to me, because when I'm recounting this story, I, I remember that moment I heard that Karina had gone missing and was found dead. And she fought for her life. She fought so hard. I want to go back with you and go through the events that day. Bring us up to right now and your efforts to find her killer. What happened that day? It was August the 2nd, around 5 p.m., broad daylight. What happened? Correct. It was August 2nd, broad daylight. She left the house around 5.30, you know, she said, Daddy, I'm going to go for a run. And she asked me if I wanted to come. And I said, I can't today, uh, Kareem, because my back is hurt. Uh, and I asked her, are you going to go in there, meaning the trail in the weeds? And she said, yeah. Uh, and I said, Kareem, do you think it's a good idea? She said, don't worry, Daddy, I'll be okay. And she went off, and she was only gone 20 minutes when this feeling came over me, like like something was something was wrong. So I I called her phone at uh, 627, 628, 630. I was I was watching the news. I was eating dinner, and I just said. Damn, I didn't say damn, but the word similar to damn. And my wife had just gotten home from the hospital. And she said, what's the matter? And I said, Karina's not answering her phone. And my wife didn't even know she went out for a run. So I went looking for her. And I, I walked the trail where we usually run. Uh, I stopped about 200 feet from where she was because I didn't think we ever went that far. And uh, I turned around, I came out, I called a friend of mine in, in the PD, and I told him, Karina's missing, she's not answering our phone. And within 15 minutes, we had patrol cars. Within a half hour, we had 
helicopters. We had bloodhounds. We had 300 people looking for her. They happened to unlock her phone. She had a, uh, an, you know, an Apple product, which was very difficult to unlock. But because uh, Karina had asthma, they were able to unlock the phone, and we we found the location. And at 10:30, I went to where the phone was found, and I just she called me. You know, she came to me and called me and and, and led me to where she was, and I just walked into the weeds and found her. I am. I, I can hardly even respond to you, Phil, when I'm hearing you retell this story about your daughter going missing. It's just, um, I know it's painful for me to hear it, so I can only imagine how it is for you to tell it. At, I remember at some point when I would tell the story of my fiance's murder, at some point I would just go numb and recount the story. But when you tell that, um, when you say she came to you, what did, did you hear a voice in your head? What happened? No, no it's just the same way that I got the feeling when I was watching the news, when I knew something was wrong. Uh, my Karina and myself, we weren't just, you know, father and daughter. She was like my best friend. And we did everything together. So... Uh, Okay, I got to tell you something, Phil. You are really getting to me right now because I told you this in person mm -hmm. in New York City not long ago, but that's how I was with my father. We did everything together. He would mm -hmm. go with us. He and my mom would go with us on vacations. He would stay up at the house with us, go with me to pick up the children from school, everything. Exercise yes. together, eat dinners together. I mean... It's just such a huge void in your life, and yes. you've got to figure this thing out. So you find your cell phone, and then what happens? Well, the cops uh, found the cell phone. So yeah. I went to where the, where the police were. There were about 15 cops there at the time. There was uh, bloodhounds. There was a helicopter with heat sensor on it. And I said, where's the phone? And they pointed in a direction. He said about 50 feet in. And, you know, no, they didn't touch the phone. They left it for CSI. So I said, okay, you know, it's pitch black now. And I start walking deeper into the trail, you know, just walking. And then uh, I told myself or somebody or something told me no. So I turned around and I walked in the other direction. I got to about 50 feet from where the phone was on the trail. And I just stopped. And I, you know, there's a trail to the right and there's a trail to the left. You can go in either way. And the weeds are eight feet high. And I just stopped. I turned to my right. I looked at the weeds. And I just walked in. And I made it at about 30, 35 feet. And that's where she was. You know, she, she needed her father. She needed me to find her. There's no question. Why, why do it. you say that? Why do you say she needed you to find her? 
Well, because if anyone was going to find her, and if she had any power over the situation, it would it would be me. She needed her daddy to bring her home. Of course she did. When, when you saw her, was there any doubt in your mind that she had passed away and there was no way to revive her? Well, at, at first sight, you know, she didn't look that bad. And, you know, being a trained paramedic, you know, FDNY, you know, my initial reaction is to check for pulse, you know. Yeah. And as soon as I, I lifted her, I knew because the rigor started to set in already. Oh. You know, I, I've got a question for you. And this is a completely personal question on my part. It's not evidentiary or fact-finding. I remember after my, I, you know, everyone in the room in my family was telling my father, go ahead, you can go. I was yes. literally had my lips on his ear saying, Daddy, don't go. Do not go. Stay here with me. Do not leave. Mm -hmm. And after everyone left the room and he had, had gone on to heaven, I remember that the nurse wanted me to leave and just leave his body there. And, you know, absolutely, of course, I would never do that. Mm -hmm. But it, it just, I just could not leave him there. No. Even though I knew he was no longer in his body. After you found her, what happened? Did they take her? Did What happened well, then? After I found her, all hell broke loose. You know, I was immediate. Oh, sure. as, soon as, as soon as they heard me wail, oh. uh, you know, the, the police came in and they... They told me, sir, you have to put her down. You have to put her down. Okay. This, this is a crime scene. So I put her down, and I said, okay, when, when, when are we going to get her out of there? And it was 1030 at night. And they yeah. said, well, we have to wait for the medical examiner to come. The, the ambulance has to come. So oh. I'm, I'm, you know, half hours going by, and I'm, I'm starting to – lose my mind and I'm I'm screaming where the hell are they do you want me to go get them and you know little did I know that of course it's a crime scene and they were just telling me that because they wanted to pacify me uh, about another half hour goes by and I'm, I'm I'm saying what's taking them so long you got to get her out of there and then uh, I started getting some calls saying that they're, they're starting to, they're starting to hear some rumors, and you know, of course, rumors. my wife rumors about you know me finding her or we us finding her, and that she was no longer with us. And because my wife didn't know at this point, nobody knew at this oh, point. Oh no! Just, oh no! Is that how your wife there. found out? No, no. So I got a call saying, Phil, you better get over here, and you need to talk to your wife. So I made my way back home, and I broke the news to her. So uh, it turns out they didn't get her out of there till five, six hours later.
because, of course, it's a crime scene. They had to bring CSI. They had to, you know, do whatever they do at a crime scene. So, You know, people don't understand unless you've gone through it yourself. You're about out of your mind because it doesn't seem real. I remember when my fiancé was killed, I, I, they told me that he was gone. Okay. But then in my mind, I thought, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That maybe that was wrong. Maybe he's alive. And if I can get there fast enough, maybe I can help. You know, maybe yeah. this, maybe that. I mean, your mind is doing all sorts of contortions to make it not real. That's what I, I remember. I still don't believe it's real. I don't think I'll ever believe it's real. You know what's crazy? Not not last night, but night before last. I dreamed that Keith was still alive, my fiance, and I saw him. He went, listen, it was like a big secret. He goes, dial this number and we'll, we'll meet. And dial my cell number. Okay. All right. So I, then I tried to dial the number, and of course, the digits were wrong and this and mm -hmm. that. There's always a reason in every dream that it doesn't happen, you know, just because I guess in your mind, you're still trying to rationalize that it did happen. I, I guess your body and your mind has a safety precaution that doesn't let you digest everything all, all at one time because then you would just go totally insane. So, so after that, when I first realized what had happened to Karina and I heard about you, I immediately started covering it, covering it, covering it, covering it. And then as the days, went, I, I thought for sure with a crime scene like that, that it would be a matter of days, if not hours, that the killer was going to be caught because I was convinced there was plenty of DNA at the scene, there were going to be fingerprints, and that was that. Yes. It, didn't, and you it did correct. not happen that way. Well, there, there was plenty of evidence, and I was told by the chief of the detectives the very next day, saying, we're going to get this guy, and we're going to get him right away. But little did anybody know that he, this person, this murderer, was not in the database and his DNA was never oh. on file. So Oh dear Lord in heaven. Yes. Oh to, to, I just don't I don't understand it, Phil, because this is a, this is contrary to everything I know and I know it to be true about criminal psychopathy. You don't just suddenly one day commit a murder. It doesn't happen like that. Typically, especially a murder like this, it's so hard for me to believe he has never been in trouble before. And the reason we're talking about this, everyone, for a moment, I, I feel like I'm just talking on the phone to Phil Vitrano. This is Karina Vitrano's father. We're talking about DNA in the DNA database, CODIS, like APHIS, which is the fingerprint database. Everybody's in there if you have ever had a federal job, a government job, if you've ever gotten booked on anything. There's a, a, now, sometimes people get fingerprints for all sorts of reasons. Pawn shops, you name it, that goes into APHIS. Now there's CODIS for DNA. 
And if you are convicted in many jurisdictions, your DNA goes into a databank. Whoever murdered this beautiful girl, their DNA, which was found at the scene, is not matching up to a database. What about mitochondrial or familial DNA? What about that, Phil? Well, that is what we're working on. We, we have a special meeting with the forensic uh, subcommittee on February 10th. And this meeting has come about just because of Karina. This is a special meeting, and they're going to vote. If Who is they, they? Who is they? A subcommittee? What subcommittee? Well, this comes down from the New York State Department of Criminal Justice. They okay. decide if it's a good idea to uh, put this on the table, to put this out for a vote. And we put so much pressure on them that they call for a special meeting. And at this meeting, there's going to be scientists. The people on the board of the subcommittee are scientists. And they're going to vote if it's a, a good process to use or it's not a good process. Are to you use. talking about mitochondrial or familial DNA? We're talking about familial DNA. FS okay, testing. goodness. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. And in a nutshell, without a lot of legal or scientific terms, what that means is we've got the killer's DNA that he left on the scene. If it is allowed, to compare that to familial DNA, what that will do is, if anybody in his family or a relative has ever been arrested and their DNA is in the databank, it will match it. And that way you'll go to that family member, it could be a mother, a sister, a female cousin, a male cousin, that gives you a lead. It's finding the straw in the haystack. It's, you know, the needle in a haystack. That's what it would be. You would go to that relative that has been in the CODA system, and then you've got a lead. You've got a clue, right? That is correct, but I just want to add because a lot of people don't understand that only criminals' DNA are in the database. So we're only targeting criminals. That's absolutely correct. And what I was saying about fingerprints uh, if you like, I had to get my fingerprints to be a district attorney, or to, and when I was a Fed, we're not talking about fingerprints. We're talking about DNA, and only criminals are in the DNA system. That is correct. So when you are, it's like when you drive a car and you get a driver's license, you give up uh, certain privacy in order to be on the roads. You've got your your name, your DOB, your address, you have to take a test. Uh, in a lot of places, you have to give a fingerprint, your photo. That gives you a pass to ride on the roads, okay? When you are a convicted felon, you give up the right to have a gun. Sometimes you give up the right to vote, and you have to give your DNA. That's yes. the deal, okay? You go in the system, you go in jails, you give your DNA. Bam! End of story. And it's very simple. It's like putting a Q-tip along the inside of your mouth. That's giving DNA. So there's really no question when you are convicted of a felony, then you give your DNA. I, I, I don't really understand 
what the complaint is. Because if you're in the DNA system, you're a criminal and you had to give your DNA. You gave up the right to keep that private. I mean, am I missing something, Phil? No, no, you're absolutely positively right. And the people that that are are against this, I believe they're they're only against it because of their ignorance of the facts. They really don't know uh, what the process is, and they think their Fourth Amendment rights are going to be uh, questioned. They're going to lose their Fourth Amendment right, but they don't understand it's the DNA is already there, it's in the database, and it's only there for convicted criminals. So, like you said, you give up certain rights when you're a felon, and this is one of them. I mean, bottom line, familial searching is a technique whereby a crime scene profile is run through the offender, the criminal database, hoping to get a list of profiles similar to the DNA found at the scene. It's just that simple. And this has really come to the forefront because of you, Phil Vetrano, and Karina, your daughter. Now, some people argue it's a controversial method that attracts suspects in crimes by using the DNA of their relatives. Uh, Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I don't understand the problem. What, what is the problem? Well, only criminals would not want this done. Like you said, your fingerprints are on file. I'm a fireman. My fingerprints are on file. People that have nothing to hide should, you know, shouldn't be concerned about it. Only, only criminals uh, don't want this done. Did you know that there are already many states that allow familial DNA searches? Did you know that? Not New York. Now, Ohio has allowed it. Since 2012. Um, and yes. Anyway, I think there's about 12 that allow it. Of course, they have it in the UK, okay? Um, and typically, it uses the DNA of male male relatives to catch the perp. And I, I think that there may be a scientific reason, but I believe it's because most violent felonies are committed by men. I, I don't know if that's the connection. Now, I guess it's the ACLU, right, that don't think you should use DNA, familial DNA. Is that the problem? That is, that is absolutely right, Nancy. You know it what? I'll let, I'll let them take Karina Petrano's killer home for dinner. How about that? If they don't want familial DNA, because that's what they're asking for. I, I just, well, some people claim, such as civil liberties, ACLU, this violates the Fourth Amendment. Uh, that protects you from unreasonable search and seizures. But the reality is, this is not an unreasonable search or seizure of your DNA. You give it up when you go to jail. That, that's the rationale behind this. What about a composite sketch? What do we think the composite looks like, looked like? We were unable to get a composite with the profile. Uh, I've been told that it's not the right DNA and it's not the, we didn't have enough of, of that particular type of DNA. But what we have, we have a complete profile, meaning that once the, the person is apprehended, it would be a 100% complete match. Uh, no question, definitely 
the perpetrator. Are you familiar with the name Justin Christian? He was accused in the kidnapping, attempted kidnapping, of a 10-year-old little girl and the rape of a 6-year-old girl, the rape of a 6-year-old girl in Cleveland, and familial DNA led to one of his relatives and yes. then, allegedly, to him. Then they matched led the to DNA. His... Yeah. Mm -hmm. So no, it's being gonna... done. Yes, it, this just happened about two months ago in Ohio. They made their first arrest conviction through his brother. Um, so Canada wants to do it. We, it is done in a number of states, like you mentioned, but it has never been done in, in New York. But it, it's, it's kind of embarrassing because New York is the center of the, the modern world. Uh, things should start in New York. We shouldn't have such a hard time uh, making this, being able to be used in New York. You know, um, I didn't, I, I have to agree with you on that. New York is viewed by many as the capital of the world. And for them not to have familial DNA testing is, I'm, I'm so surprised they're so behind in criminal mm -hmm. procedure. Well, it's not like they didn't I mean, know about it. This has been on the table for with the New York uh, Department of Criminal Justice for the last eight years. They just never acted upon it until I I put the heat up. Did you know the first state that did it was California, and that was back in 2008. They allow it. Uh, Colorado allows it. Florida. Harvard. I, Texas. Yeah. 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 Yes. Ohio now. And I, I'm just very surprised. Typically, the front runners are legal trends are California, Florida, and New York. And believe it or not, Georgia, because they follow along because of their proximity to Florida. Florida okay. will do it, and then Georgia will follow it. Because, you know, we've got a very fluid line between Florida and Georgia. So I've noticed that legal trend between the two of those. So what do we have to do? How can we help you, Phil? I have an online petition on uh, change.org, familiar DNA testing for Karina Vitrano. Um, whoa, 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 I'm not that, hey, I went to law school, not, uh, I'm not that great of a typist. Hold on, I'm going right now. Change, go ahead. Change.org. Yep. Familiar DNA testing. Well, shouldn't there be a slash in there somewhere? Well, if you put that in, it'll come up. Just familiar DNA testing for Karina Vitrano, and you'll see the petition. I'm doing it right now to make sure that my the listeners can do it as well. Karina Vitrano. Do you think they'll pay any attention to the will of the people at all? They should. Well, they should, shouldn't they? Famous last words. Okay, you know what? It does. It does turn up. Change.org. This is what I put in. I put change.org, familial DNA, Karina Vitrano, and it says two petitions, and then it's, it, it plunks follow. Okay, I'm doing it. Change.org. What else can we do, Phil, besides fill this out, well, pray? What else? Yes. 
and get in touch with the New York, uh, New York State Department of Criminal Justice uh, via email, uh, via phone call, and support this uh, familiar testing. And when they get to the meeting on the 10th, hopefully they'll have a proposal ready and it'll turn out in our favor and they can start using it immediately. You know, Phil, you have given me a real gift today because I prosecuted crimes for so long and when I switched to TV, I never knew if discussing them or putting a light on them really did any good in helping in any way. But by giving me, giving me this, your change.org petition and the date of the hearing, which is February the 10th, I feel that, I believe, I don't feel it, I believe that we can try to make a difference and find who killed your daughter and at least give her that amount of justice. That's all we can do now is try to seek justice for her. That is all we can do. And you are absolutely right. The reason we got so much attention so quickly and we ruffled so many feathers is because of people like you, people in the media that went out either on the radio or on television or in the newspaper and put this out there. Because if this is the only reason that the state had decided to act on it, because they were getting so much pressure. And it's only because of people like yourself that helped. You know what else, Phil? You know why bad or evil or crime or whatever you want to call it, you know why it wins? It wins because we become complacent. Exactly. And we're, we're just, you know, fat, dumb, and happy. We just go about our business. And we're not hearing the cries of other people and thinking, what can I do about it? What can I do today to make a difference? And you have given us something we can do to affect yes. change. And I want to thank you for that. Everyone, you, please help us bring about change that may result, God willing, in apprehending the killer of this gorgeous young girl. Her father's heart is broken. Her mother's heart is broken. The only thing we can do for Karina Petrano now is seek justice. I am continuing to cover this on crimeonline.com, and we will be back with Phil Petrano as this date nears, this crucial date of February 10. Phil Petrano, thank you, and to everyone listening, right now. Thank you for being with us. Nancy Grace signing off. Goodbye, friend. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. 
with the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner.